From Electric Forest Radio, this is Forest Today. But when I came to the ranch, it changed my whole life. It really was life-changing for the better. And it still holds magic for me. I love it. I'm still here. I lived here for 28 years in this place. All this stuff is junky, but it's my junk. Yeah, that's right. And everything has a story. That's Wally Wojak from a conversation we had at his home at the Double JJ Ranch during Electric Forest 2016. Wally was part of a group who, in 1955, planted the white pine trees that we today know as Sherwood Forest. A decorated World War II veteran and successful businessman and entrepreneur, Wally was also part owner and developer of the ranch for many years. He called Ohio home, but eventually retired and moved to the ranch in Rothbury, where he served as a local historian, storyteller, and beloved electric forest friend. You may remember seeing Wally riding his Honda ATV around the ranch, waving at festival goers as they entered the campgrounds, and sparking up as many conversations as possible. Wally passed away in 2017, but there is creativity and energy and human connection in this place because of Wally. In just a moment, I'll share my full chat with Wally from 2016, where he shares details about the planting of the trees and the history of the ranch itself, which has been a place of self-discovery and exploration for decades. But first, for more episodes of Forest Today, the Brainery Hour, exclusive DJ mixes and live set recordings, don't forget to search for and subscribe to the Electric Forest Radio podcast wherever you get your podcast or visit electricforestfestival.com slash radio. My interview with Wally Wojak is next. Yeah, my name is Wally Wojak and presently uh, I'm uh, at the ranch after 64 years and uh, right now my the title is a historian, storyteller, and all-around diplomat with guest relations. Legend has it that you were the one who planted the trees. A lot of the trees. Yeah. yeah. So, at, when was that, and what were you doing? At that well, point? Uh, uh, let me. Uh, I'll fill you in on that. When, when Mary and George Stausch. German immigrants Mm -hmm. came to this country in 1914. They bought 80 acres, this this parcel of land, Mm -hmm. and the lake. It's all they had. And they raised uh, peaches and cherries, and and they're agrarian people. They also raised three children, uh, a girl and two boys. Uh, two of them went to college. Okay. The oldest, George Stausch, and Ramona Stausch, a, a lady, okay. they went to college. Now, this is where the story gets interesting. When R- Ramona left college, she took a job in Chicago in the Board of Education okay. teaching upscale girls finishing school high price nice neighborhood sure. and uh, 
that's what she did for a couple of years. This was in 1930. And of course, this 80 acres that was bought by, by, by the senior George mm -hmm. was beautiful. They had thousands, thousands of, of uh, cedar trees. They're, they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. And a lot of pine trees and it was just gorgeous. Yeah. So one day Ramona, comes home and says to her dad, Dad, I think I can bring young girls from my school. Mm -hmm. They were like oh, 12, maybe 16, okay. for a six-week summer vacation. I'm the counselor. I, you know, I'm the teacher and the counselor. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful place here at a price. And uh, the father says, well, that sounds very good, daughter. Yeah. However, you have some issues. She says, like, what? He says, well, number one is our lake is not a clean lake. It's got a mucky bottom. Yeah. And when you swim and come out, you're full of muck. He says, what about hygiene? How are you going to keep them clean? And this girl was pretty remarkable. She says, we'll build a water tower. What a water tower in the old days, they used to do this. They'd build a, a pyramid-type structure and put in it a big tank, 500-gallon, 1,000-gallon, hang it, mm -hmm. and by hand, took a long time to fill it with, with, with well water. Got it. And that provided the hydrostatic pressure to run the toilets and the showers. Says, well, okay, you got the hygiene solved, but where are you going to feed them? And she says, well, the house, and they, and on this 80 acres was the house that's what is now the Turkey. Okay. That house was built in 1894. Wow. Wow. She says, a big living room. We can get a long table. We could put 16 or 20, you know, young girls, sure. and mother could mother could do the cooking. Yeah. He said, all right, you got that, but what about sleeping? Where are you going to sleep them? And she says, we'll build teepees. Because in 1930, 31, 32, there were still a lot of, of, of uh, early Americans living around here. She said, we'll get the help of some of our neighbors. We'll build teepees. Mm -hmm. So they went ahead and did all those three things. And the first year, she brought in 22 young girls and had a, a glorious six weeks. Mm -hmm. They swam, they wrote, oh, and Brother Bob, the one that didn't go to college, uh, ran a horse livery in Whitehall down the road. Sure. And he'd bring in the horses on a, a weekend or even during the week. Sure, sure. So they had a lot going for them. Yeah. And and she was the first one that can you can say brought in the first commercial dollar gotcha. from this farm. Yeah. Yeah. However, 1932, we had the biggest depression of all. You remember? You don't remember it, but it was a worldwide depression. Yeah. 
And Ramona called in the early summer, called her father and says, Dad, uh, depression is really hurting us. I've got an opportunity to stay with the Chicago Board of Education and, and maybe have some upward possibilities in management. Sure. So I'm not coming home. Mm. And uh, he says, okay, daughter, that, that's fine. Plus, she says, it's depression and people don't have the money, even to send their daughters away for six weeks. Mm. So he accepted that, but George Stausch was a very interesting German immigrant. He had the, the, the sleeping quarters, mm -hmm. the, the, the use of the lake, sure. showers, yep. and feeding. So he thought about it a lot. Now, I got this because I knew the owner of this place okay. uh, very closely. Uh, and, and he left me, in, as a matter of fact, all of his early documents mm -hmm. in starting and growing and marketing sure. the place. Sure. So, so Father George says, geez, she's not coming back, and that was nice to get those few bucks. Yeah. Pretty astute man. He went in a hundred mile radius to all the different denominational churches uh -huh and said to the parishioners, send me your children six to 10, okay. six to 10, yeah. for a Friday night and a Saturday night stay at, at, at the farm, at the farm. The farm yeah. And it caught on. Hmm. And the first, uh, he had 18 the first year, second year, he had like 40. Hmm. They loved it, I mean, they had, it was beautiful, sure. and uh, so he thought he hit a home run, yeah. which he did in, sure. a, in a sense. For the time. Now that stayed uh, little kids. As a matter of fact, there was so much fun that Father George says, you know, we just can't call this the farm. We ought to give it a name. Mm -hmm. So in honor of these little kids, I think we'll call it the Jack and Jill Ranch, JJ. Uh, J. Yeah. And JJ is in the title even today. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the JJ hmm. came. I, that question is asked of me during the whole week by yeah. people. What does that stand for? Sure. So <clears throat> they gave it the name Jack and Jill Ranch. Okay. And it was great for two years. It filled up. Now comes George Sr., the oldest boy, mm -hmm. who was a professor in at Miami University in Florida. Okay. He taught civics, uh, uh, theology. Uh, he was a minister, an ordained minister. He taught uh, civics, maybe I said that, public speaking, and the social arts. Okay. Plus, he was the dean of graduates. When, when they graduated from college, they needed help in discussing how they apply for a job. How do they write a, a 
uh, a letter stating their backgrounds. Sure. And, and that's what he did. And when he did that, he asked every, every student, where do you spend your vacations? And, and he talked just like this, by the way. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, you know, it's the wheelchair diaper brigade, mm -hmm. meaning they go with the family. It was a very reluctant answer, but to all of them. And he said, well, where do you have most of your fun? And they said, well, when we're with our peers, mm. people our own age, sure. and co-ed with girls, yeah. too. Yeah. That's when we really have a lot of fun. And so George thought about this, thought about this, and he came up with this idea of, and this is important because it, he's the first guy that did this, of bringing young people, 18 to 30, single, no married couples, no boyfriend, girlfriends, all single, okay. bringing them up to the Jack and Jill ranch then for a full week with Everything included, the horseback riding, the food, the swimming, the tennis, the, it, it was just a, a, a big program at one price. Now, doesn't that sound like the Club Med? Sure. It's exactly, he was the first guy that came up with the idea of the Club Med concept. Yeah, yeah. Now, just to double check, because he, he didn't want to make mistakes, he went to three resorts, one in New England, one in New York, and one in Tennessee, okay. Res family resorts, sure. and said to the owners, I've got this idea of bringing young people together for a full week. I've got the sleeping, the food, I got all that solved. And for one week, singles only. What do you think of that? And to a man, they said, it's a great idea. It'll never work. Mm. He said, why won't it work? He said, are you kidding? You get those young people here with all those sex hormones in the woods with all those girls for a week, you're going to have trouble. George was a pretty smart guy. He pondered that. And he said, you know, if I can keep them busy, from eight in the morning till two in the morning, oh, wow. actually busy. Yeah, they're going to be too tired to go frolicking around. Right. They're going to want to get to bed, and it worked. Mm. When I came here in '50, that's exactly how it was. Mm. He had a program from eight o'clock. You started riding horses, then you went to the baseball, then you went to the tennis, then you went to the the lake. It it was full of activity, uh, and and. And that hit, and he says, that's what I'm going to do, and he did. And it was a, a total success, mm. total success. The Club Med fashion, one price, you don't bring any more money than what it costs. And you know what it cost them back in 1934, that one week, $34.95. That same vacation costs you over $400, maybe $800. Oh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's how he got 
to the ranch, mm. the double, the Jack and Jill ranch. And all there was to it, the headquarters, that building right next door was his office. Okay. The, the people that were here was the accountant and his wife. Yep. And all we had then was this ranch, the lake and all these cabins. And it, it, was, it was such a success that when people left the ranch, they formed their own Jack and Jill clubs in cities, mm. not connected uh, uh, officially to the ranch. Sure. And uh, I, I'm, I'm familiar with that because I was president of the Cleveland Jack and Jill Club for two years. I had a hundred and I had six hundred and eighty members. Oh my gosh! But we weren't the biggest. Chicago had fourteen hundred members. Detroit had like a thousand. Windsor had a big contingent. So there were all these clubs. He did very little advertising. It was word of mouth, and the only way you could join one of the local clubs was to have spent a full week at the ranch. Got it, got it. So like ranch alumni. And, and, and yeah, and, and those are the fun days. Yeah, so yeah. You, you actually went for one of those weeks? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was in 1950, early 1950. Got it. Got it. Uh, I, I, and I had so much fun, I fell in love with the place. Yeah. And I stayed with it year after year after year. I'm, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> you think I'm nuts, but yeah. it was a it was a great experience. It was a life changing week. Yeah. I kid you not. Just like now, mm. when I talk with these kids and I spend my time driving around, talking, gathering information, almost to a person, they say it was a life changing experience to come here for just four days. Yeah. You want to keep coming back. When yeah. you come back, it's like coming home. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so that's the success of how we got there. And then I had so much fun here, and I, but I had a career also. Right. Right. I, uh, I ran uh, a very technical business. I repaired large utility power transformers, okay. as big as this room. Yeah because I worked for GE, and that's a story in itself. Sure. I'm in my memoirs now, putting that phase of my life sure. together. Yeah. Uh, and that was interesting too, in fact, humorous in a yeah. lot of ways, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I'm bringing you up from when it started yeah. Yeah. to, and then I stayed with it. And I was very successful in my business, made millions, sure. truly. So when I retired in 1992, I bought into the ranch. Okay. And Bob Lipsitz and I were, were owners. I own 40%, I'm a minority shareholder, which is always bad, but I loved it so much, I wanted to be part of it. Sure, sure. Because <laughs> all we had was this and those few cabins. So in, when I joined them in 92, we first built the golf course, then we built 
the hotel for golfers. Then they needed a restaurant. We built the Sundance uh, Steakhouse. Then they needed lodging, so we built a hotel. Uh, it was uh, pretty remarkable. Then in uh, 94, now it was still Jack and Jill single in 92. Okay. Still single only. Yeah. But then, funny thing happened. In 94, people that were there in 50, 60, 70 were coming back with their kids uh, just to look around. I mean, in great numbers. Yeah. And it didn't take long for us to decide we're missing something. Yeah. Let's have a ranch for kids. Mm -hmm. We built the back 40. Uh, Little cabins mm -hmm. so you could sleep economically. Sure. Their own pool, their own place to eat, sure. their own horses. It, it was pretty remarkable. And we built all that. So that kind of brings you up to date sure. uh, of, uh, of my tenure here. And, I'm, and I love it. And just recently, about three years ago, my wife died. I lived in Ohio, big house on, in a uh, uh, gated community country club. Sure. Uh, my wife died three years ago. And every time I went home, because I have two boys, okay. I'd stay in that house and it was depressing. Mm. It, too big, I never went upstairs. It was, yeah. so I made a monumental decision, decision. I loved the ranch. And when my wife died, I had her cremated and her ashes are up in a track of uh, woods I used to ride horses in called Wally's World, beautiful, hardwoods, gorgeous, hard to get to. Mm. Her ashes are there. Okay. So I sold the house there and I moved here permanently. Okay. So you, you don't see a millionaire living like this very often, but you, you're looking at one. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a great place to retire to. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm in my 89th year. I'll soon be 90. I never thought I'd live that long. <laughs> <laughs> the forest itself. It well, was I'll, here, I'll tell you. No, I'll, let me tell you about how that happened. In 53, I came in 50. Okay. In 53, George, it was small, they had 80 acres. Yeah. And they bought this farm adjacent to the ranch. Okay. And one day he said to me, he says, can you gather some of the guests to see if they'll help plant some trees? I wanna, there are two sections there about, it's about an, maybe two acres, two and a half acres. I'd like to put in the white pine trees. I said, sure, you know. So he got the, the, the trees free from the government doesn't pay taxes on that because yeah. it's, it's in the bank, so to speak. And we spent two mornings planting those trees. And it was very easy. And, and like I say, it was the easiest management job I had because I worked for GE right. 16 years. Yeah. 
and then ran my own company for 27 years. What we did, you cultivate the land. Mm -hmm. then, then we put two lines in the sand about eight or nine feet apart. Okay. Now they're lines. Now what, what would happen, we had, uh, and I had about 30, 40 kids helping, girls, boys. Sure. They take a bundle of, of seedlings, about that, that high, okay. and a stick, and they get on one line. Everybody got on the line. They take three giant steps, mm. poke a hole in that line, put the, the, the seedling in, and stomp on it. Sure. That's all it took. Because yeah. if you see, they're all in lines. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and it took us two mornings to do it. Huh. Never dreaming that someday it was going to be the centerpiece of one of the country's best music fest festivals. Yeah. Yeah. So that tells you how the trees got there. Gotcha. I managed the, the whole group and, 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 and worked on, on sure. all three sections. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun because afterwards He'd have a party for us, and mm -hmm. and as I w walk around, uh, watching all these kids, and I tell many of them, I says, "You people don't act any differently than we did in 1950, yeah. in the late 40s and 50. We the same way. We had totems, mm -hmm. nice. and I and." We did some of the silly things they're doing. Sure. We wanted to be individuals, so they were the guys would wear crazy stuff, and yeah. I've got a closet full of costumes, oh, nice. believe it or not, and it was fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I really have a a flashback when I'm yeah. among the kids. It's just yeah. like like the old days. Yeah. And 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 uh, of course I, I love people. Mm -hmm. Good thing. Right. You have right. to to, yeah. to be in this business. Yeah. And when, when my partner I owned it, he was the one that managed all the money and everything. And all I did, it, I was in charge of guest services. Mm -hmm. So I mixed it. I mixed in with all the people. Learned a lot, yeah. had a lot of fun, yeah. and I still do to this day. Wally passed away just a few months after this conversation. He was 89. A tree has been planted in his memory inside Sherwood Forest, which can be viewed during the festival along with a memorial plaque. That's it for today. I'm your host, Kent Otto. As always, in addition to this podcast, you can tune in anytime to the EF Radio 24-7 live stream to hear live sets from the festival, artist radio shows, and more. To listen to EF Radio and find a schedule of programming, plus links to more episodes of this podcast, visit electricforestfestival.com slash radio. Yeah.